Welcome to Sermon Seasons, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we dig more deeply into the passage that we looked at on Sunday. I'm Dave Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, Mike Allen opened for us Psalm 119. We didn't look at the whole psalm, but we reflected deeply on what it means to meditate on the Word of God, the delight that it is, and how we live it out. Mike, welcome back to the pod. Good to be here. So it was... I loved on Sunday as we got to spend some time really digging into the longest uh, psalm in the in the Bible uh, and looking at lots of the details. And I thought maybe as we started today that we could start by looking at that bigger picture um, beforehand. So what are some of your reflections on Psalm 119 as a whole? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? It's the, the biggest chapter in the biggest book um, in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. And look, there's some interesting um, things going on at, at the level of structure with this psalm. So we, we heard on Sunday it's an acrostic poem, um, and so it's working through the Hebrew alphabet. And what is interesting about it is on one level it starts with Aleph, the first letter of the, the Hebrew alphabet, and it's got eight sentences starting with Aleph, and then it moves on to the next letter, Bait, and another eight and so eight's interesting, and you wonder why eight, but then you combine it with, well, when we look at the Word of God and how it's referred to in that psalm, um, there are eight synonyms uh, which are used in um, in that <laughs> psalm to refer to the Word of God. And so you, you sit there think, so there's a lot of eights going on here, and you, you are left wondering, well, what is the significance of eight? Because eight's not really used that much in the Bible, is it? No, it's I, some of the more, more go-to kind of numbers. I, I drew a blank on it and I, um, I checked a number of commentators and they, they, they had no idea either. So it, it's sort of just sitting there. I mean, on one level we can understand why eight sentences, I think, because if you try to balance at the level of poetry and song, yeah. it probably would make sense. Well, especially because um, parallelism is a big feature of Hebrew poetry, parallelism parallelism is most often in twos and so therefore it's four brackets of twos but i I'm, i feel like there's a phd in there for somebody somewhere. oh there'd be several wouldn't there <laughs> several ones um actually you know as i was listening to you talk about that on sunday i just um and even just looking at it in in the text when you if you actually get to ha- have a look at it at the at the hebrew even if you it just looks like scribbles on a page to you you can see the pattern in the scribbles right it's it's quite amazing and i was thinking um i was thinking about uh, the nature of acrostics and we talked about them before but it's like kind of saying this is the a to z of the word of god it kind of says that i i can i can pull these things together and i'm giving you the comprehensive you know beginning to end the alpha and the omega if you want to think about it in a new testament sense um about the word but but as as i was looking at those pictures of it being eight sentences all starting with it it made me think about it on another level and that is how much mastery of a language do you have to have to be able to have eight sentences in your paragraph that all start with the same letter now if you have a think about that as you're listening and you go oh, i could probably do that with a i mean if you're the wheel of fortune kind of person a e n t s whatever is the other ones we go to what are you going to do with q and uh you know if you can come up with eight sentences in a row all related to the same subject all that begin with the letter q you have you've really shown yourself to be a master of the language and i just i just found it interesting to reflect upon the fact that the the passage that is about the mastery which is the word is a 
shows itself to be a, the the poem itself is a mastery of Hebrew, um, and to to be able to come out with all of that, um, uh, as you're reflecting upon that poetic nature, is this something that that stood out for you, or at least that uh, you pondered a bit about it? Um, I mean, it's worth reflecting on those synonyms again and thinking yeah. about well, um, on average. There's one in every verse. And yeah. that's actually quite remarkable. You take the point that you just made about um, coming up with sentences beginning with obscure letters, let's say, mm. and yet you can't just make up, we might we come across Zs and suddenly we're talking about zebras in, in, in English, right? Well, mm. you, you can't change the topic on these ones. They're all about the word of God. And so you're, you're, mm. um, it's gotten a lot harder, I think, to actually construct this. So I think people do talk about the mastery of the, the the person who wrote this, the psalmist, is is really quite something. I think it also might explain a little bit why, uh, unlike probably most of the other psalms that we've read, uh, there's a journey in the psalm. You know, you'll get the sentence at the beginning and the sentence at the end that tell you kind of what the psalm's about, and then the psalmist will take you on a journey through that. That's less the case, I think it's fair to say, um, with Psalm 119. It's not like there is... Um, or, or is there a, a, a progression from Aleph to Tav or whatever it is at the end? Mm. Well, know, yeah, the they, they don't seem to think there is progression. Yeah. And um, I'm normally one to try and find a narrative moving through Scripture, um, but I couldn't detect one either. Mm. And I think, um, as we did on Sunday, just taking a unit actually makes sense. So we chose Mem, the letter Mem. Mm. Um, that actually made sense because I think that does have um, a story in it. As I think, on on the the look through that I had, the other units all seem to as well. Mm. Um, but on the overall, no, I, I don't think there's a, a story going through it. Um, sections. So, so what people could do as they read Psalm 119 is try to reflect upon each paragraph and think, is what's the unity to this paragraph, rather than necessarily trying to find. Well, obviously the unity to the psalm is is the word of God, but. Um, it, they're, they're better off looking and see is is there something in each paragraph that the psalmist is meditating upon? Is that would you? Yeah, that's right. That so I think what we did yeah. on some was the right thing yeah. to do. We, yeah. we took one section and looked at that. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it means with the A to Z nature of acrostic poems is actually we are looking at a bunch of different perspectives and um, angles on the Word of God, and each of the segments contribute its own thing. Mm. Um, and so, but there is a, a movement with inside those segments. Now, now there, there were questions asked on the night about meditation, um, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But there's almost about what exactly it is. Is there a sense where what Psalm 119 is doing is actually what it's telling us to do? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I think Psalm 119, if you are to benefit from it, does need you to read fairly slowly, mm. I think. Uh, I mean, you can read through anything quickly and not understand it. Um, but Psalm 119 especially, it's, it's not a narrative that you can sort of fly through and pick up the main turning points of the drama or whatever. Um, no, you, you've got to go quite slow with Psalm 119. And so even maybe in your own Bible reading, you, you have a psalm a day, let's say, and you come across a, Psalm 119. Well, actually, you're going to take longer. You can't just run through it um, because it is. It requires thinking, analysis, tossing around, um, much like we tried to make an example of, I guess, on, on Sunday 
with mm. the verses that we looked at. Uh, we went relatively slowly, um, but we incorporated a bunch of other things to help us sort of dwell on the significance of what, what was being said. Yep. I guess earlier in this whole uh, season of lockdown, Sarah started a group reflecting on the Psalms and we were doing that reading a Psalm a day. And there was that whole question when we got to Psalm 119 and there were some of us and I'm a bit of a, I like the big picture to get the detail. And so I was like, can't we do both? And so we actually still kept Psalm 119 in the one day to read it in one sitting. It's about 15 minutes. And there was something amazing about seeing the whole scope of the reflection but then a lot of us went back and did one stanza um, at a time in the next month and so just took them and so took an extra 26 days to look on one at a time and it was almost one of those ones where you got more from doing the both and than just the either or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's right. Um, um, a 15-minute read-through is um, going to leave you fairly in awe of the Word of God, I think. Um, and uh, sub, to complement that with a close reading um, of the different stanzas, et cetera, would be um, super helpful. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of you were sharing with us uh, one of the Bible reading programs that you've uh, done recently where you actually did some big reading and big slabs at once to read through all of it, um, but also that you do some slower, smaller reflections on parts of God's Word. And I think that kind of brings into sort of as we reflect on the whole idea of meditation because uh, what does it mean? Like what is Christian meditation as opposed to, you know, you say the word meditation and we've got these pictures of sort of Eastern people sitting with legs crossed and, you know, lots of umming and lots of emptying going on. What would you say is different about Christian meditation? Yeah, look, um, probably a couple of things there. Um to, to go back to what you raised um, just the beginning there about Bible reading plans, um, and it, I think it is relevant to, to Christian meditation, um, I think there are parts of the scriptures where you can go relatively quickly and read a, a fair amount. Um, and so I found, um, as, as I mentioned, I did, did the Bible in just over 90 days um, a couple of months back with, with a whole bunch of people in Sydney actually who were doing it as well. Um, and people were leaving their comments on Facebook, et cetera, about what they were found interesting about the reading and so forth. But um, what that plan did was it put basically um, the same speed right through the Bible. So whether that's, you know, 13 to 15 chapters every day. And my reflection on that is that worked quite well for um, quite a lot of the Bible. Um, but actually it was way too fast. Um, somewhere in the New Testament, I think it was just too fast. <laughs> Um, so if you're reading, particularly, um, let's say you're getting into some of Paul's letters, I think doing three of those letters in a day doesn't really make a huge amount of sense. At that point, I'm not certain we're meditating in, in um, the biblical sense because we're, we're actually going to quit. Well, if you're still trying to fit it into the same time, I think you're, um, you're actually going a bit too quick. Whereas reading through um, uh, Deuteronomy, let's say, and, and narrative and law, Actually, that, that's actually quite good to read through um, fairly quickly. Now, to come back to this question of meditation, um, well, it's not emptying, is it? It's actually filling. Um, and to pick up some of the movement of, of the psalm, this idea that uh, the word of God is, is a delight um, uh, all day, um, that it, it, it's always there, this idea that we haven't just read it and then we've forgotten it the next moment, but actually it stays with us. And so what that means is I think it informs our day, actually, as we 
um, continue to reflect on what we've read and to continue to think about um, what that means for our day-to-day life, I think. And so it, it really is almost the opposite. It's not emptying, but it's actually filling. Mm. And so where, where an Eastern meditation thing might have you going just try, try to concentrate on your breathing or something else like that and let your mind, when you, uh, uh, you know, had someone explain it to me one time, where you, where you, where you, when you find your mind thinking about something, you deliberately empty and just go back to what your, your breathing is. And you think there's just a nihilism to that compared to the, the, the fulling and feeling. Uh, we, we were talking about this a bit earlier and, it, and it's almost like uh, a wine connoisseur or a, or, or a coffee fan or cheese fan or insert whatever kind of culinary delight you have. But, but where, where the, the person who, who, who wolfs it down you know, might end up with a full stomach, but there's that idea that the person, say for instance with wine tasting, you might taste it and then you go what, what what's it feel like when it what's the taste when it first comes in is there are there as i wash it around my mouth they do all of these things so that they can work out textures and all of these other things that come in with this wine that you know the wine expert will notice about something that that the average person might go i've, I've got no idea but but it's what means that the wine expert just goes i oh, I, I love it. Uh, this is this is the thing that I delight in, and you think that that that's a bit more of the biblical meditation idea, isn't it? It's the it's the idea of continually going back to it and thinking about it and pondering it, and which is actually what the word in the Hebrew kind of that that's the context of that. That it's about that idea of pondering and going over and in revisiting, and um and and that's actually a bit of a theme, isn't it? In in the scriptures, there's uh, other parts in the Bible that that really get us to do that um uh so for instance uh there's there's deuteronomy um chapter 6 and 11 yep so in deuteronomy chapter 6 uh just after uh so from verse 4 i'll read hero israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and these words that i command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This isn't hear and forget, is it? No, no, that's right. And um, I mean, in as you, you're hearing, this is really what God's people were, were commanded to do. Um, we were to be people of the book, and um, a key part of our, our daily lives is actually soaking ourselves in the Word of God. Mm. And again, I we we chatted a bit. Well, I spoke a bit on on Sunday about the idea of reading with purpose, and I think that's um, a useful category to, to keep thinking around about our own Bible reading. Um, are we just trying? Is our purpose something different? So I, I used the category of um, a new Christian. Um, was their purpose just to read through the whole Bible, just get it done? Um, which again, I, I know that that can be a, quite a certainly a noble aim, but and it certainly can have benefits in in getting a, the lay of the land and the big picture. But actually, just going fast and getting through it is not really what we're after. We want understanding. Mm. Um, we want to be growing wise through it. And again, likewise, for the older Christian as well, we, we need to think about how our Bible reading is going. Um, are we in a, a bit of a routine that's actually not working for us anymore? Maybe it did um, years ago. 
Um, do we need to change something? Um, and again, as as I sort of did the the bubble in ninety days sort of thing, it, it dawned on me that um, really, I, for me, I think I, I need to adopt more of a let's do a lot of chapters for certain parts of the Bible in a day, um, but then let's do for different parts of the Bible, let's actually slow that down. Is actually probably going to be the way to go. Whereas a lot of plans, I think, don't do that. Mm. They it's you know we might. Um, the McChain or, or whatever plan will get you through the Bible in a year and that might be four chapters a day but there's no real distinction between what you re- should mm. should really be reading quickly and, and would actually benefit more from, I think, from a, a quicker read um, and that which I think we need to, to read quite a bit slower. Yeah, and I think there is that because there's that whole reading it personally and reflecting on it, but there's a way that that's almost that then flows out of us in the conversations we have with others. It's not like we're just meant to read this and go, okay, tick the box, done. It's transforming us um, and it's also the thing that's on our lips that as we speak to other people and there's also the there's almost that communal nature of it going on that it can actually be really helpful to have someone else who is reading the same thing at the same time and you actually talk about it and you make observations to each other and it doesn't turn it into another formal Bible study but it's the way that the word of God is actually transforming and changing us and so then we're, we're sharpening each other as we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I did note, I think, under, under questioning on Sunday morning that what I'd focused on was uh, personal Bible reading but we shouldn't just do that, right? I mean, med- meditating on the word of God shouldn't just be in our daily Bible reading. Um, it ha- hopefully, surely, is happening at church um, on Sundays. Uh, hopefully, surely, it's um, for many of us, it's happening at home, in our families. Um, it should certainly be happening in our, in our Bible study groups. Um, but even just personally, you can do that in a number of other ways. Um, people may, we, we've spoken a bit about singing, I think, over the last few months. Um, but actually singing, even, even by yourself, um, as you reflect on the Word of God in, in appropriate songs, which are excellent meditations on the Word of God, I think is another way of actually reminding us and getting us to reflect more and more on the implications of the Word of God for our lives. I think um, one of the things that uh, uh, I've done in the past that I found really helpful is is puts a couple of those things together in the in the um, the community aspect is is uh, memorizing scripture. I remember I'm not sure if you ever did this, Mike, but one of the things I got I got encouraged to do when I was doing my ministry apprenticeship was to to do the topical memory system, which was put out by the Navigators and NavPress. You can still buy it, I'm fairly sure, in in Kurong, and um, and uh, the Navigators were big time into scripture memory, and uh, and so and so what you do is is you you'd actually do it together. You, you maybe tee up with your trainer, or maybe with another trainee, or, or just some someone else that you want to catch up with at church. And you 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 work through the the, the scriptures that they get that you to memorize. It's called topical memory system because you remember under a topic. Then you say what the verse is. Then you re- remember the verse. You you recite the verse, and then you say the reference again. So that way you don't forget any of it. But that kind of um, uh, and and one other guy I remember who this impressed the daylights out of me. I've got to say, is um, uh, is he had a Bible, and in the Bible, which was his scripture memory Bible, he had underlined the scriptures that he'd memorized, and I'm flicking through the thing, 
and almost every page, literally almost every page, had something had something memorized in it. And I thought, surely not, right? And so I'm I'm testing him, and almost every time he nailed it. And if he got it wrong, he'd accidentally remembered the passage that was on the next page. You know, so it means he, he had the right sort of setting, but just dismissed it like that. And I, and I remember thinking, there's somebody who is steeped in the Word of God. And and I think when when the more familiar and the more steeped you are in the Word of God, the more it comes to your brain when you need it, um, and you reflect upon it when when life happens. Did you ever do any scripture memorization? No, I had like friends that? who did. I remember at um, at uni days, I had a, a buddy who'd memorized Romans. And the whole lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he would you could get him just to recite it for you, um, and his take on on that was that it's actually very easy to do. It's one verse a day, and um, so it takes a while. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, w- it wasn't too hard. So may- maybe maybe we should think about doing more of that. I mean, that's when. Um, changing Bible versions really hurts you, doesn't it? Uh. <laughs> uh, I, I love it when you then end up coming with, I'm not sure, I think I started in the ESV and I finished in the, in, in the NIV and it's somewhere along the way I'm going to claim it's the Mandy Curley translation. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I think like maybe a way to end this section is it's a verse that you picked up on Sunday night in the question time, uh, Mike, as a, as a heart for us because we want the word written deeply on our heart. So in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a good way for us to live our lives. Now, as we're thinking a bit more on words, uh, Dave picked up a word in uh, this section of Psalm 119 that intrigued him. So let's have a bit of a chat about that. Yeah, I was pondering <laughs> I was, as, as you, were, you were speaking there and I was reflecting upon honey and, and for some reason, uh, maybe I'm, just, I'm, I'm a bit slow on these things, but uh, I, I realised, hang on, we live in a society saturated by sugar. All right, Rob, work with me here. Um, uh to say something is sweet is like, meh, you know, our bread is sweet. Go to America, it's even sweeter, right? They, we, we, we're so familiar with sugar and sweet things, the refined sugar, sugar cane, and, and that really was a, a product actually of the era of exploration, you know, just post the uh, post the Reformation in the 1600s in particular and, and after that, where, where sugar just flooded uh, Western culture. And, and now, well, I guess what I'm saying from that is is that uh, when you've got a bit of language that says sweeter than honey from the honeycomb or, or something like that, which turns up a, a couple of times in, in Psalm 119, um, we kind of go, all oh, right, so it's saying it's sweet. But I think that's got more power when that was the sweetest thing you could think of. So the, the expression sweeter even than this, whatever that is, has no meaning unless that thing is the sweetest thing you can think of. And, and so if you think about yourself back in, in 1000 or 700, whenever this was written, um, uh, BC, and sweet was natural. It's whatever you could have that was natural. So you'd, you'd have figs, you, know, you might have um, dried dates where the sugars crystallised. But the top of the tree, the thing that you might have in a jar that you could add a little bit to other things to make them special, was the jar of honey that you could have, and and um, 
and so so when the psalmist is saying this is even sweeter than honey, it's saying the thing that in the in say some rel- it, it, it had such a salience of taste that you would have honey um, or, or sweet things, and they were the special things. And honey came ready made, right? It wasn't like you had to go through the process of curing whatever uh, fruit it was or grain that you wanted to concentrate the sugars in. It had already been done by the bees, right? And so, so there's this sense of of um, something special that you know you taste it and it causes you to close your eyes and go, oh, this is this is a treat. And so, I think that image of of seeing the scriptures as being this 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 treat that you just want to have sit on your tongue, um, uh, and even in in the passage it says, is how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And again, that connection with the fact that not just the sweet things are things that you have on your mouth, but the, the word is the sort of thing you want to have continually sitting on your tongue, um, which also implies a sense of readiness to speak it. Uh, it, it it's, it's kind of there. And so we thought we'd do a little bit of a, as we've sometimes done in this podcast, a bit of a, a, a search through on on honey and, and where it sits in the scriptures. Now, um, uh, for instance, well, perhaps one of the more famous references to to honey is its description in the land. Uh, Mandy, do you have that for us? Yep. So if we head to Exodus uh, chapter 3, um, so from verse 6, so I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, Surely I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, etc. Now we were actually chatting about this a little bit before, Mike, and and you were pointing out something which I think is quite helpful about that image. It's It's not just about saying that God's going to provide you a land with some good stuff in it. Um, he doesn't say I'm going to provide you land with abundant. Although he, he does at a point say that you'll have vineyards that you didn't plant and you'll have crops and houses that you didn't do because I'm delivering them for you. But there's something about milk and honey that's different from crops, isn't it? Um, uh, what, what were you saying about that before, about cultivation? Oh, um, well, one of the places where honey pops up is Isaiah 7. And uh, at that point, God is uh, through through His prophet saying to His people that um, at that time you'll you'll have curds and honey. And actually, that that's not um, a time of prosperity or abundance for mm. these guys. They're, it's because their cultivated land and so on and so forth, their their vineyards will will be in ruins. Actually, um, and so the only thing that'll be there for them is what naturally occurs. And so in that sense, it's it's an image of judgment on these people. Um, but honey, yeah, it, it, it actually just occurs. We, we don't cultivate it. We, we do now, of course. Um, but back in the day, they didn't. It was just provided. Um, and you, you're going to talk about Yeah, well, I, th- that, I think it's the, as you were sharing that, the thing that made me ponder is, is that, um, that, that, that it is a message of judgment upon them, but it's interesting because that now makes me think that it's a message of judgment that says this is because... I'm spitting you out of the land and, and those sorts of things. But again, there's almost like there's grace in the middle of it. You're actually going to have to depend now only on what I can provide. 
um, rather than what you have built for yourselves in, and, and take your pride in and security in. You're going to have to have milk and, and wild honey, stuff that you just find because I've put it there. And, uh, and, and, and then that caused me to reflect back on the imagery of a land of milk and honey, that it's a, it's a land where God will, God will be your provider. It will be, milk and honey is a, is, a, is a wonderful picture of sweet and special, but it's also, it's not crops. It's the thing, things that um, God, it's a land where you're dependent upon God and his blessing, which again is actually a very strong theme throughout the Old Testament of what the land was there for. It was in a sense why... Um, you know that you might think of the River Jordan, but really it wasn't a land flowing with rivers like Egypt, where you could pretty much bank that your crop is going to turn up next year because it doesn't matter whether it rains in Egypt; it matters whether it rains in Ethiopia. Um, whereas in the land, you have you might have heard of these things called wadis and things that they're dry seasonal streams where basically if the rain didn't come, you're going to die. You're going to you're going to starve. There'll there'll be famine. Um, and so, what does that cause you to do? Uh, will cause the Canaanites to pray to Baal and Asherah, these fertility gods of the sky and the earth, such that if Baal and Asherah are doing their thing and and are happy, Baal will send the rain and Asherah will produce stuff from the ground. Um, whereas um, God is saying, no, I want you to call out upon me. This is the land that I've given you and I will make it provide for you. Just keep my covenant. And, and so you get those sorts of themes going through there. And, um, I mean, there's other places where you can go. You can go to Samson who, again, you might go, why would Samson, what is it remotely attractive about eating honey out of a dead carcass? Um, now, I, I still want to sustain that there is nothing. <laughs> um, but when it is the sweetest and most special thing, um, a person who is a creature of his appetites like Samson goes, is going, I don't care what is growing in, it's honey, right? Um, you've got Jonathan who, um, who in 1 Samuel 14, right, just trying to remember you, cause you to remember earlier in the year, he was wondering that they were pursuing the Philist or the Amalekites, I think it was, and it was the Philistines. All oh, right, the first time, and uh, and and uh, his troops were starving, and he saw some honey, and he grabbed it, and it actually caused him to his eyes to light up, you know, because again, it was what gave him energy and providence. You got, um, it's not as common in the New Testament, so we have got John the Baptist. Yeah, so uh, John the Baptist is known as being the one who eats uh, the curds and the honey. Um, so what was interesting about that, Dave was reflecting on it, you've got the picture in John the Baptist of his sort of the the one who is, is out, he's a bit more like aesthetic, um, yet he still is the one that is eating eating the honey. Um, yet that does link, I think, Mike, to what you were saying about the Isaiah imagery of there is sort of some judgment in the whole only being able to eat the, the curds and honey sort of idea. Um, well, I agree there's, there's possibly a bit more um, in there as well. Um, again, we, we, it did pop up, this idea that at that point you know that you are depending on God to provide. Um, and I wonder, one, one thing, reference that didn't pop up in, in the honey, the word study on honey, um, would be Exodus um, and how the manna tasted like honey. Mm. So there, there's another example where well, what's this theme of you're providing, you're relying on God to provide, and there's this honey thing going mm. on there. So it's, it's yeah. a bit of an interesting theme there. Yeah, and that's sort of the last thing that came up in that I was looking at is in Revelation. Uh, so in chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 7 to 11 because I think it picks up both the sweetness and the bitterness. Uh, so 
Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So out there to you guys, ponder some honey <laughs> um, and ha- have a think about what, what exactly it means. But there's a, it's, a, it's interesting tracing um, ideas through the Bible and seeing the, the, the ways that they are used, which might bring us full circle and really to the, the last thing that we want to think about. And, and that is to actually do, do the pondering, do the savouring. And, um, and so I thought we'd um, sort of finish up by, by sharing what, what we love, what we, you know, as, as people who have the wonderful blessing of spending, perhaps having the time to spend a lot more time in the word, uh, at least we should be, um, uh, than, than many of you get to. Uh, what do we love about it? Um, so uh, over to you first, Mike. You, you can give us what, what's as you. Um, ha- what is it about the word that you delight in that that is uh, song worthy? Oh, song worthy. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I um, this week was a bit an unusual one for me because, um, as you guys would have heard on Sunday, um, I was sort of reading through Tom Holland's book. And that was quite, really quite fascinating um, with the way that he got me to think about how much the world that I live in today has been fundamentally impacted by the word in ways I think that I hadn't really appreciated or perhaps I had heard people mention but never really thought about in, in much um, depth. And so I mentioned human rights on Sunday. But um, another interesting example that he, he sort of, pulls out is is really just this of science and so he he starts talking about how um back in the day uh china were very interested in um star charts um because of how their their thinking at the time worked you you were a very powerful person if you could predict when eclipses happened and and things like that and they're having all sorts of trouble because they were their their charts their their system working this out just just wasn't working um, they were a, a day out here and there and they got it wrong. And so they, they actually brought some Jesuits over who um, made some pretty amazing predictions. They had their star charts worked out and they, they knew what was happening. They brought their new um, telescope and, and so on over. And um, it was a real interesting battle. They, they showed the results of how it was working really well. Um, but then actually I think they were thrown in prison for about six months because the guys there were like... Uh, in order to adopt this thinking, we actually have to adopt your your framework of how the world works, that there was a start and the, an end, and that there are laws which in, we can discover which your God is, is put into practice and which are consistent. And actually th- this was against, um, against what these guys wanted to believe and said, well, we don't want it anymore. Now eventually they brought them back after six months because I thought, well, hang on. We actually need this to work. Um, <laughs> and so it was very fascinating, even just at the level of science, thinking about how much um, what the word tells us of the world in which we live has, has shaped. Um, yeah, yeah. and I mentioned a bunch on Sunday, but yeah, just the world that we live in today is really quite astonishing. Um, how about you, Mandy? What, what did you think? 
Yeah, I guess I've been reflecting on uh, very much how in this season that I've actually wanted to just come back to the old familiar, but just loving the way that in God's word, I come back to what I know, yet I see something new every time. Uh, so one of the things that I I found, I just, we got to the end of the Psalms and I was like, okay, what's next? And I was like, I just... I just want something I know and love. And so I found myself going back to Philippians. It's a book, I don't know why. Um, I can't actually tell you what it is about Philippians, but I feel like it's a book that God has kept teaching me over and over again. Um, It's a book I've got to speak on a couple of times, but every time I come back to it, I see details that I haven't noticed before. And as I reflect on the joy that you get from and the fact that we can rejoice in all circumstances as I come back and look at my life and then go far out, I look at my life and I look at Paul's life and I feel like saying, right, harden up. Um, But even in the whole thing that you can express your anxieties and fears to God, but he is there, you can cast them all on him and his word will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on of God's word is how that you can know it so well but yet uh, there is still something new every time you come back to it. Dave, what about you? Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a, a great point. I, I think uh, there's something, isn't there, about Scripture that is that is actually quite amazing when you think about it. It is so re-readable. Like if I think about books that I've, I've very much enjoyed and read more than once, the Harry Potter series, certainly the Lord of the Rings, but I, I couldn't sit there and pick up the Lord of the Rings the day after I finished reading it and start again. Um, and it's a pretty good book, right? <laughs> um, and you pick up new things when you're reading it, but but it hasn't got doesn't hold a candle to the scriptures. Uh, just again, again, one of the things I've absolutely delighted in this year has been um, I've got a Monday growth group that meets in town, and we've been looking at something else because it meets every second week. Um, and so we've been going through Ephesians and and just um, just the close look through through again something that is so familiar has been so nourishing. I think what I want to share was that. Um, one of the things that always I just uh, I shake my head in wonder and amazement at about the scriptures is that it is so its description of the world it's bounce off what you were saying there Mike that the description of the world that you get in the scriptures is the world we see just again and again and again we, we live in a a society that says, "Oh, everyone is really wonderful, apart from the non-wonderful ones," um, and uh, and and so that has this optimism about the what we want to create that is going to cure all the problems and and so often we see, well, the scripture says a different story. Let's see one, which one matches the reality in the world that we live in, which is more able to predict what's going to happen next. And and um, wonderfully, and and in some way, sadly, the scripture is correct on it. You know, it, it, human nature will prove itself. Um, and, and but at the same time, it, like we looked at uh, even last week when we were talking about how how thankfulness comes through redemption so i think the scripture understands our world but i love the fact that it understands me and um and that my god knows who i am and where i'm at and where i'm going well that's it for today we're going to finish with a, a song actually it's our theme song and uh, that that winds in and it's actually uh, a, a song that's actually about the scriptures so it's kind of a a a, a Poor person's music set, Psalm 119. So I've been Dave. I've been Mandy. I've been Mike. Join us again next week for Sermon Seasonings.
what you've done for me Your word, it tells me everything's so clear Where I need to turn, whom I need to trust Your word, it tells me everything's so clear How I am forgiven, how I need to live Your word, it tells me everything's so clear What the future holds, where I place my hope Your word, it tells me everything's so clear And why Christ had to die And where life's meaning lies The sin is slavery From it you've set me free That I should live for you In everything I do And that you've gifted me To serve you faithfully live with others what it means to serve your word it tells me everything's so clear how to love my brother and to speak the truth your word it tells me everything's so clear how to find contentment how you give me peace your word it tells me everything's so clear Where to rest my sorrows, where to give my thanks Your word tells me everything's so clear And why Christ had to die, and where life meaning lies The sin is slavery, from it you set me free That I should live for you, in everything I do And that you gifted me, to serve you faithfully Christ to die Where life meaning lies The sin is slavery From it you set me free That I should live for you In everything I do And that you gifted me To serve you faithfully I've treated you you've done for me your word it tells me everything's so clear